Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a Photog adventure of your own. It's episode 59. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everybody. Hey, guys. Today, we are going to have an awesome guest, Michael Shane Bloom, or Shane Blum. I just went through the whole thing with you about what we should say, Bloom or Blum, and I said both. Hey, man, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Excited to be here. Brendan and I consider ourselves lucky when we live in Utah, go out for liquid photography, have nice di- nice night skies, and that we mm-hmm. keep going out. We got really, really lucky a year ago and met Royce Bear out at Mirror Lake. Yeah. We had another Royce Bear experience going out to Secret Beach in the Shore, Acre, uh, Shore uh, Samuel H. Boardman park out there in Oregon coast yeah, yeah. we came across a guy and his girlfriend standing up on the hill up where we were we were looking at our shots and I'm thinking there's some more photographers I'm gonna get to know them maybe uh tell them about the podcast see if they ever want to listen and just see if we can join them because there really wasn't anybody else there right I no mean, just, no one else yeah that one guy who was there taking a nap on the beach he left when we got oh there. yeah yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> and he photobombed our shot where we did our intro intro introduction video there on uh-huh. the beach he ended up photobombing behind us because he's like crawling back up the rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's coming yeah. up from the beach. So we're out there, and we see these two guys. We're thinking, okay, we want we want to do what Royce says. You know, be courteous, be you know really civil, be civil out there, mm-hmm. and join mm-hmm. people. Don't be in their shot. Yeah, Talk yeah. to them so that you know where are they going to be, where do you need to be to be out of their way. So I approach this guy and this girl who are out there on the edge of the of the um, cliff there, shooting over, and I'm like, hey guys, how's it going? And you know, blah blah blah. And I look. Michael looks up at me, and I'm like, wait a second. You're Michael Shamblum. <laughs> he goes, yeah, yeah. And he had that <laughs> humble look of, oh, you know, that doesn't mean anything. I'm like, no, it does. <laughs> it does. When I'm searching Milky Way photography on YouTube, man, your shots always come up ahead of us. Your videos are always there, and we've learned a ton from you in podcasts in the past. Uh, we just love your work, man. It's been such a privilege to have hung out with you out there on the Oregon coast. Well, hey, thank you so much. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That specifically that that evening was um, really memorable for me because I've spent so many years photographing the Oregon coast, and I've just it's it's that one place where I just have never really gotten any good light uh, at sunset. I've I've gotten mm. a few night sky images and some overcast and foggy images, but that sunset. Um, you know, just seeing the sun kind of uh, spill light onto the foreground and actually be able to get a decent sunset there was really special for me. So, yeah, glad to have shared that moment. I was so caught up in the moment of having you and Serena there <laughs> that I was giddy and going around trying to find my shot. Before you guys, before I started talking to you guys, I looked up and around that area and I wasn't quite satisfied with any one composition yet. I was trying different things mm-hmm. and I ended up just. I, I don't know. I was fanboying it. I was just so excited. Everyone's around me. We have all the group that we came with. You guys were there. I didn't even get anything going, and all of a sudden, the light blew up. It was a yellow, golden sunset, and I was not ready, so I just started doing a time lapse. It didn't even turn out all that mm-hmm. fantastic, but, man, it was a great night at Secret Beach. 
Yeah, it really was. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are going to have a podcast with Drew and Kirk. Those are two of our listeners that joined us on that adventure out there on the Oregon coast. And we'll tell more of that in detail. But we've got Michael Shaneblum with us, and we are so stoked. We ended up spending a couple of days with you and Serena out there going to Bandon and taking off to Shore Acres and enjoying the area. And so it just felt like a dream come true, man. And uh, a lot of people know who you are. A lot of people know Michael Shaneblum. But can you give us a shortened origin story of what your photography career is and what you're doing full-time? Time these days? Yeah, sure. It's kind of a combination of different things. Uh, it's it's a combination of time lapse photography, aerial photography, uh, some aerial video, landscape photography, cityscape photography. Oh, I kind wow. of, <laughs> I know, I like to keep it a little bit open. Um, and it wasn't always like that, but I've I've just found to to keep myself inspired. I've had to keep refreshing things and. Um, you know, trying new things to kind of keep the inspiration going, I, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, I, I'm doing pretty much all of that full time. And also in my personal time, that's kind of what I do too. So it's, it sort of works out. <laughs> it's still a fun hobby to you that you spend your leisure time doing it as well? I spend all my time doing <laughs> uh, yes. photography. The, the Most of the business is just me filling out paperwork or dealing with emails or updating my website or you know this and that but um at most of the photography and most of the time lapse and video is pretty personal i mean i do commercial work as well that that's actual commissioned work but a lot of when i'm actually going out and taking pictures that's just what i would do in my free time anyways so mm -hmm. you know it works out <laughs> right on what would you say you say you're trying out new things all the time what are you doing these days that you're saying you're trying out to try and mix things up I think um, for me, so I guess um, when I say mix it up, you know, when, when drones uh, started to come into picture, I, I started getting into that like 2014 and 2015, and, and that was something fresh, that was something new, that mm -hmm. was something that I felt like I hadn't explored yet, so I was really getting um, excited about that stuff. I think right now as far as switching it up and trying to stay creative I've been trying to l just look at things differently and see scenes in a sort of different way um, rather than just the big dramatic landscapes that are really fun to shoot I I've been kind of trying to look at things in a more subtle way find more intimate landscape shots and um, yeah just just kind of visualize things in a different way, like not not change my style completely. I want everything to still be um, my style, but just try and go to places that I've photographed a bunch and see if I can create something new there, something different. And mm -hmm. um, it's challenging, but it's it's been fun so far. That's Brendan is our drone guy. He understands drones more than than I do. But man, drone photography and watching it go up there at that perspective. There's I, something about it that's just amazing, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. I like aerial photography out of helicopters as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of a new. It's or it's not a new thing. Um, it's just different from being on the ground. I like both. Uh, I like shooting landscape photography yeah just with a tripod you know in the water or on a cliff but sometimes it is nice to be in a helicopter or shoot from a uh, shoot 
with a drone. I haven't used the drone all that recently, to be honest, but um, in 2014, 2015, and most of 2016, I was uh, using that. it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I was trying to do, I was trying to make um, an, an Oregon aerial video too. So I was spending a lot of time investing a lot of time trying to fly around Oregon. <laughs> oh man, Oregon would be beautiful from up there. Yeah, I mean, there's so much. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's amazing. I, yeah. You mentioned helicopter photography and I was just barely feeling jealous. I know that one of your good friends is Nick Page. You're probably checking out his stuff that's coming out of Kauai that he's at right now. And he's got his helicopter shot flying around the island that he just recently captured. Mm. And I was thinking about that. Have you ever taken a landscape photograph from a helicopter do you have to have an incredible fast shutter speed to keep that scenery good or is it easier than you think on a moving helicopter um it so shooting from a helicopter has its own challenges i would say that are different from regular landscape photography right everything is so fast paced so where i would set up a where i would scout for hours or days a location on the ground and be able to take my time setting up a tripod and you know putting filters on the camera and really getting the perfect settings and the perfect composition helicopter photography is like it's it feels like things are moving fast forward you know <laughs> i mean you're you're in this helicopter that with the doors off the wind is just you know blowing in your face you've got your cam you've got like two cameras with two lenses or well you can have one camera but i have you know, two cameras and two lenses, two different lenses uh, that are basically, you know, strapped on. Um, yeah, you're you're just moving super quick over landscapes and trying to shoot as fast as possible because you're like, okay, you know, you're, and I'm switching the <laughs> exposure constantly and the moment's it just, coming and going away oh instantly, God. right? Mm. It's a little different than yeah, I would say. Um, with helicopter photography, it's in a way a little bit stressful because um, it's it's hard to know if you it's hard to know if you actually got the shot until you look at the shots later. And um, I, I mean, I've done a, a decent amount of flights over different locations, and it's incredible each time. It's it's an experience in itself, you know. Oh, a dr a drone. Yeah, you should because the, and the thing is like why wouldn't you just use a drone? Because a drone you're just looking at a screen. It's still fun, but <laughs> you're taking a a little, you know, you're taking a drone up, you're looking at the screen, you're taking pictures with the screen. It's not the same experience when you're up in a helicopter. You're up there. You get to witness it, you First know, with hand. your own eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You feel the wind hitting you. You feel the helicopter moving over landscapes, you know, and if the pilot is is a great pilot, they're usually making it exciting as well. You know, they're doing some fun maneuvers over different places, and it just it. I guess, yeah. In in that sense, I I recommend doing it for sure. It's it's a yeah, it's a different experience, and you get to use um, you get to use your DSLR or mirrorless camera with different lenses, which is nice. Yeah. Well, unless you, unless I mean, you can get drones that will carry your DSLR, but right. in general, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand by it's it's a whole experience. Sure, because when you're up there and you're actually experiencing that firsthand, I mean, there's the feeling in your gut and all that stuff going on. I mean, it's just it probably feels like a ultimate sports kind of photography, huh? Where it's so fast paced, <laughs> but then you're involved in it too. You're not just 
on the sidelines, you know, that's, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a lot of that. And, um, you know, you get that in landscape photography for sure. There's a lot of landscape photography that is a little bit more, um, that's, that's a little kind of, it's, it's a little fast paced and nerve wracking. And then there's other types of landscape photography that's super blissful, super serene. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of hanging right. out and you're just enjoying like, you know, certain situations I can think of like photographing a waterfall and you're in the actual, uh, rushing flow and you're like waist deep in water and you're, you know, you're gripping the tripod super hard. So you don't like, <laughs> so the tripod doesn't go in the water and, and there's just spray constantly and you're just trying your best to get the spray off of the lens. But every two seconds you look at the lens and it's completely covered. I mean, that's, again another kind of intense moment but then you have those moments where you're sitting on this cliff photographing flowers at sunrise completely still there's not a sound going on there's no wind it's that's like a blissful moment so uh, it's nice it's nice to have in landscape photography and in photography in general you can have all these different kind of moods and moments and you know Man, it's I nice. never thought that we would be talking about helicopter photography today. Because yeah, me too. I, yes. I know that I've seen Nick's recently, so it's on my mind, making me think, what would I do in that situation? It's awesome to hear from you, Michael, and how you've been doing it. That's sweet. Hey, so Michael, you've got some really great Milky Way photography. Um, what's something that really stands out to you as a great moment, um, something that you felt really proud of in your Milky Way photography? Or even if it was just a crazy experience. Um, to answer the first um, question, I, f- I guess I feel proud um, most of the time with any new photo shoot and creating a new photograph, um, that is recent. I, I always, I try and improve on, on the photography each time I go out and try new things and try new techniques and then bring that into post and see if they work. So, um, that, yeah, that's with most photo shoots. I mean, of course you go out on photo shoots and you mess them up and, (laughs) You're like, ah, oh, damn, I can't believe I messed that up. But, um, yeah, as far as uh, crazy experiences, I mean, I think everyone, every landscape photographer has a few something, right? kind of funny <laughs> moments, you know. And we I think, do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, running into snakes and scorpions and spiders and all that. and <laughs> Or, like, you're alone and you hear a noise and you're like, what is that noise? And it was probably a deer or it was probably some random animal that tiny doesn't care about you but but you're alone and it's and it's dark and you're out in the middle of nowhere what was that it's stalking Um, me it wants me it's some little creature minding its own business and it's freaking you out especially shooting time lapse because you you you'll set up the time lapse and then just kind of hang out for five hours so you you know right Mm -hmm. usually i'll like take a little nap or if i'm alone i'll i'll kind of uh set up my time lapse stare up at the stars for a while and then just kind of doze off and set an alarm for (laughs) when I need to I'll set an alarm to check the camera to make sure it's still running and then I'll set another alarm to actually go you know grab camera do you ever bring a second body to do that or do you use both your bodies or two bodies to do your time lapses it depends um some I, I always have two cameras with me at least so I'll set up a time lapse and then sometimes if I see different opportunities to shoot photography I will just spend the whole 
you know, I'll spend the whole four or five hours just shooting photography with the second camera, or mm. I'll set up two time lapses and just kind of doze off. <laughs> nice. Or just set up one and doze off, depending on how lazy I am. But um, I only yeah, have one... one myself right now, and I have an iPad Pro, and so I'll be watching movies on there while I'm waiting. So I've oh, been cool. there for nice. four hours at one time, and I watched, watched the entire Batman. Dark Knight is great. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely done that before, uh, or just kind of like, browsed if if i well a lot of the times you don't have the luxury of having service but no right uh, sometimes right. just kind of browsing i've you know i've definitely spent time browsing my phone while a time lapse was going um yeah as far as experiences go i was shooting in 2016 i was shooting a time lapse video of california it was like this really short video that i was doing called among the ancients and okay. it's a uh, bunch of Milky Way shots and it's all based in the Eastern Sierras and I was kind of shooting that alone and um, I was in I can't remember where I was I was kind of out in the desert out there and Is this I parked... mono lake or mono lake no 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 I've yeah I've kind of memorized or mono lakes pretty easy to navigate this was like kind of out in a random spot oh okay I parked my car and I kind of like walked out to this, um, I can't remember, it, it was this rock formation uh, kind of at the end of Alabama Hills, mm, but yeah, it's, it it's like unmarked. It's not, it's not like Mobius Arch or any of those, but it is completely unmarked, um, this rock formation that I wanted to shoot. So I was kind of, it's, it's, and it's pretty far down in the park. Like no one, um, as far as when I was out there, I mean, I didn't see anyone else out there. So Anyways, I scouted it during the day. I parked my car and I walked out um, and I scouted this formation that I wanted to shoot and kind of got my angles. And then I walked back to my car and I think the walk was it's like half a mile. It wasn't far, but um, so went back to the car, um, waited for, uh, you know, the night basically. <laughs> and then I grabbed all my stuff. I grabbed my time-lapse slider. I grabbed all my gear and started walking out there. And I brought my headlamp and my cell phone. So I always have two like lighting devices. Um, right. I always have something. I always have like a headlamp and then I always have my cell phone. And I got out there and started setting things up. I, it took a while to get my slider set up because you know, I had this move in my head where like the camera would move closer to this rock formation as the Milky Way rose and then the moonlight would strike it. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. mm -hmm. And so I set that up and then I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to head back to the car. And then um, I had my one of my other cameras in the car and I was going to set up, I was going to do a little bit of photography um, kind of just around the car, like, cause there was some other rocks by the car that I wanted to take some pictures of. So I walked or I started walking back <laughs> right. As soon as I started walking, my headlamp died and it was already pretty dim. And I was like, okay, well I have my cell phone. It's got like 50% battery, no big deal, <laughs> whatever. And then I had, and then I knew I had some battery chargers in the car. So I was like, okay, I'll just grab those and uh, it's fine. So you're walking back to your car at this point or back to where your camera is? No, I'm walking back to my car. Okay. Uh, okay. And the thing is, you have a camera light, uh, but I tape all those up so that the light doesn't spill on the foreground. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Me too. And it's and it's pitch black, uh, <laughs> and I'm alone, and I'm like half a mile away from the car, 
and I know the general direction of where my car is, but that's all I know. So, oh. so the headlamp um, was already dim, and it died. And <laughs> and I was like, no big deal. That's fine. I have my cell phone. It's it's got a lot of battery. And then my cell phone. I looked at it, and it had like fifty percent battery. And then it just shuts off. Was it cold? Did it just do one of those battery shutoffs where it's 50 and boom, black? I don't know. It's kind of, it's sort of an old cell phone, sort of one of the older iPhones. And it wasn't, no, it wasn't cold. It was pretty normal. It was mellow. I mean, you know, a little breezy, but nothing to worry about. (laughs) And it just shut off on me. And I tried turning it back on and it just wouldn't work. I tried everything (laughs) sitting there and I'm like... How am I going to, so I can't, you know, and a lot of the time I have a little mini charger with like a cord and I usually have extra batteries for a headlamp. I have all these different things that would help me out in that situation where I never lose light. And I just, I was like, oh no, I'm like, and I'm, I'm in the desert. So, you know, there are things around you know there are snakes there are uh (laughs) different critters cruising around and some of them are fine other critters you kind of don't want to be running into while it's dark alone (laughs) um so i'm just standing there and i'm like what am i gonna do right now so i (laughs) i start i kind of like i'm walking so slow I, I like because I was walking I was walking at a very fast pace to get over to my car or to get over to the camera before and now I'm taking these little baby steps <laughs> just kind of feeling out with my shoe where I'm going and then I'm and I'm like you know I, I just realized there's no way this is going to work I can't it's pitch black I can't see anything I can't see the car it was it was a very scary moment um hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not usually that terrified at night alone in these places. I mean, I'm I'm usually pretty comfortable with it, and I I have surprisingly pretty good vision at night. I'm not sure why, um, but I can usually see in the dark pretty well. But it was just not even was, a little. There was no nothing. I couldn't see any detail in the foreground, which is not you know usually when you're out at night you can still see a little bit of what's oh, going yeah. on. Yeah, I'm surprised by how much I still see. I couldn't see a thing. I, yeah, it, it was a scary moment for me. And then um, I realized in my pocket, I have this little controller that is used to to power my camera slider. And it has a tiny little uh, like blue button light thing. No on. way. You're talking and like the little LED backlight for running the, like seeing the screen? It's absolutely tiny. You'd have to put it like a foot in front of whatever you're lighting just to oh. see even what mm, it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I kept clicking that and I held it <laughs> onto the ground as I'm walking just to make sure there wasn't anything right in front of me. And I just kept walking. I kept waddling as slow as I could back towards my car. And then I finally saw just a tiny bit of star glow, like star reflection on the windshield of uh on like my side windshield and so i kept you know using this little light just to make sure i'm not running into anything and (laughs) made it back to my car and i kind of just sat in the front seat for a little bit i was like whoa like i need to be it was like it was a (laughs) you know it was one of those moments where you're like i need to 
uh, not do that again. <laughs> yeah. I need to make sure. So now every single time I've shot the Milky Way and I've been alone, I have, you know, I have my headlamp, I have my cell phone, I have a cell phone charger, I have extra batteries. It's all with me in my pocket <laughs> or in the bag that I'm bringing with me. Um, yeah, I just, that was one of those moments where I'm like, I can't believe I did something so careless, you know, because, oh, man. um, I, I luckily I, you know, went in the right direction and I kind of knew where to go, but I mean, that could have been a really, you know, that could have been a bad situation. If you could have gone oh, yeah. miles the wrong direction towards your car too. Yeah. I mean, cause the thing is you could, even if you're going in the general direction, I mean, it it was not easy to find. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was off. a moment. That mm-hmm. was a you know stupid <laughs> moment with me just being careless. And I, I've had many moments like that where I've I've learned through experience because I'm stubborn. So uh, yeah, that was that was one situation I could think of where it just it really brought in the whole fear of being alone <laughs> at at and night, the vulnerability alone. of being out in the middle of nowhere where no one knows where you are. Maybe someone knew you went out there, but no one knew exactly where you were and no one was going to worry about you for maybe a day. So that, that could have been such a terrible situation. Milky Way photography guys is definitely risky in that sense. So come with redundant like backups and make sure you're ready for the environment you're going to. Brendan and I talked about this a few podcasts ago and I don't know if you have it michael but we have a thing now when we got lost in goblin valley we're talking the safest place to get lost we're not in any danger but we were lost because of our um we had no idea where our tripods were we've been using it ever since and it's this my tracks app and so the my tracks app will completely map the direction you're going without cell signal it doesn't matter as long as there's gps running yeah and that has saved us because now when we go out to weird places like this, we always try and turn it on if we don't forget, and then we can always trace our steps back at mm-hmm. worse. <laughs> so definitely make sure you have something like that on you so that if you get in a situation where you're completely blind, like we were with Jeff Peterson out at Escalante when we went out to the Sunset Arch and then tried to make our way back to the oh, parking lot. Oh, man, it was crazy. Had yeah. we had that, it would have been so much easier. Yeah. So definitely recommend it. My Tracks app, I'll put a link in it in this podcast. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back and talk more with Michael Shamblum. Okay. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. We're here with Michael Shamblum and we're going to talk now about some landscape photography since we just covered some of his Milky Way photography and some time-lapse stuff. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit later too in gear time about some of your time-lapse equipment. So we'll cover that later. But That'd be awesome. Let, let, right now, let's talk about sure. some of your cool images. You got some, got some cool seascapes we want to talk about. One of them is called the Phoenix. Can you tell us some more about that? Yeah, we pulled it up on our side and we're looking at it. And where are you at? <laughs> so I'm actually not far from my house in San Francisco. Oh, um, nice. I'm at Baker Beach, which is a very, very popular kind of tourist destination for photographing the Golden Gate Bridge mm, on the beach. Okay. Yeah, th- this image is special to me for a few reasons. Um, it, it was kind of a moment where I really tried to challenge my own creativity. And, um, you know, this beach is photographed daily by m- so many photographers i mean anytime you go to this beach there's at least you know five to ten different photographers on the beach and they're all shooting you know the golden gate bridge and and the coast with the golden gate bridge and um yeah during low tide i found these rock formations um that i'd been kind of exploring and 
I, I the tide was just perfect the conditions were perfect and I found this little area to stand inside and um, the, the picture looks fairly calm but <laughs> I can tell you that moment I mean the water was coming up to my waist when it you know really uh, yeah the water was was the surges were pretty intense I mean my camera was getting splashed each time and Wow. And, uh, guys, if you yeah, guys are listening it's... to this podcast and aren't driving right now or jogging, go to um, the show notes because I'm going to link to this picture. This one's the Phoenix. And look at it while he's talking about it because I'm looking at it, Michael, and I see I have no idea the scale. I don't know yeah, if those are yeah. tiny rocks and you're really close <laughs> on them or if they're gigantic. And so saying that you're waist deep in water, I would have never guessed. Yeah, it's – uh well, so during this photo – uh, the water's probably hitting. Yeah, pr- the water's splashing up to my. I mean, it was splashing the camera the whole time. Oh, um, but there were surges of different waves, so uh, mm. that was not a super big wave that came in. Uh, that was just the wave that I thought best represented the shape that I wanted to show. Because yeah. I, I liked the curvature of the wave coming in and funneling through the rocks. Oh yeah, and so I wanted cool. to accentuate that. So. You know, in this photograph, the the reason I called it Phoenix is because it kind of like if you look at the rocks, they sort of look like wings to me. And then it kind of looks like uh, the water looks like the shape of of some sort of Phoenix and the colors and everything. It just it to me, I look at it and I'm like, I see a Phoenix. I don't know if anyone else feels like that. That's but, interesting you say uh, that because you told us before we talked about this that it looked like a Phoenix. <laughs> and I've been looking in my imagination where a Phoenix is. And I think Brennan and I both saw the yellow light on the foreground water looks like a Phoenix with his wings kind of tucked in about to fall open more yeah that's what i kind of we see saw. a phoenix in that yellow on the way oh interesting and mm-hmm. i didn't see a phoenix out of the rock formation yeah i don't know if my creativity is going a little crazy with uh, i'm just like hey it looks like a phoenix but everyone's like okay whatever you say yeah, sure. but anyways sure. I, uh, it's my photo i can but, name it what i want <laughs> yeah this was just a really fun picture um the conditions as far as like processing this thing were very challenging just because of all the dynamic range facing mm. into the sun. There was so much flare on the lens. There were just water. There was water hitting the lens every two seconds. Man. Um, How so did you tackle was, that then? How did you tackle that dynamic range? Is this a bracket? Yeah, a lot of bracketing. Um, mm. Yeah, just just really, you know, minor, like just blending the exposures and... Um, trying to get it to look correct. Are you uh, someone so who uses luminosity masking a lot, or is this something that's not an example of luminosity masking? Um, I would say luminosity mask. I would say luminosity masks aren't used a ton in my photography. I don't use it for every photo, but for this photo, especially photos facing directly into yeah. bright sunlight, I'm yeah, I'm I'm usually using luminosity masks. Um, yeah, this was just a photo I came out with, and I was just at the time, I can't remember when I shot this, I think it was 2014, but I was just really proud to go to this beach that is photographed daily by, you know, I mean, it's, there's probably, I would guess, 30 to 40 photographers there daily, you know, mm. um, and that's not on a busy day, right? That's just any old, you know, <laughs> day. So I was just proud to go to this beach and come out with something where people, 
Yeah, I mean, most people ask me where this is. They don't even realize it, it's that beach. So no, I wouldn't. I was, yeah, I was proud with that aspect, the creative aspect, and then all the technical aspects. Um, it just took a lot to get this photo done. So, um, yeah, it ended up becoming one of my favorite photographs. And It's really fantastic. The way that the rock is this chalice of framing and the water goes through it, you had to have had, like, maybe you didn't, I mean, it's right in the direct sun, so you had to have a 10-stop, 3-stop, 6-stop filter, right? An ND filter. Did you use an ND filter at all, or is this just such fast motion in the waves that you just had to have a longer shutter? You know, I think it was just fast because okay. the wave mm. is moving so quickly, and I wanted to get a little bit of the motion. Like, I wanted to sh uh, see little bits of streaks, but I didn't want to smooth out the motion too much because uh, any longer of a shutter speed, and you wouldn't see those little ripples of yeah, light. Yeah, yeah, you lose the detail, um, right? It's yeah. fantastic. Exactly. Like, cotton candy hair texture yeah, in the water yeah. that's glistening off of it. It's so cool. It becomes this leading line right to the sunset. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, so this was kind of a lesson for me. Uh, it was sort of, you know, you. it's great to go to all these amazing locations that you've never been before, but also, you know, sometimes you'll get an image that you never thought you would get, and it was right under your nose the whole time. I mean, this <laughs> is literally, it's it's not far from my house, and yeah. it's, it's just a local spot for me. And I never would have thought, you know, if, if I was in the mindset of always needing to go to the craziest locations that I've never been before, I, I would never think to photograph this and I would never have this image. So, um, yeah, it was just a kind of a little lesson for me that you can, you know, as long as you're just being creative, you can you can take images that you're proud of in in a lot of different places. Make the most out of a setting like this where Golden Gate Bridge is where everyone mm. goes for and he has nothing. You would never know that that's San Francisco. That's on the coast of Oregon, right? Or that's up in Washington somewhere in the mm -hmm. sound. It's yeah. no, it's, this is San Francisco. Not to mention it's not cloudy or raining. So it's San Francisco, amazing. This shot is a perfect example of what I'm still trying to learn in my landscape photography and I'm going to take advantage of you being here Michael and sharing <laughs> us this picture because I look at that shot and I see not just clarity and sharpness but there's also a softness in your rocks between your background and your sky and I'm finding that there's always a there's always a grain there's always a, a texture in my images mm -hmm. that make it look like anyone had taken it but then I see people like you who are fantastic photographers who have mastered making their image it's, it's not a sheen it's not a glow it's not an Orton's effect I, I don't know what it is that is so different I'm still trying to learn it how could you describe in any way how you get your rocks to look clean clear but soft like this instead of like the grain that I'm getting and I don't think it's just noise I think it's just the way that I capture my shot and process it um, I think it might be a little bit of noise but I think it's also just you know if you were to so so in the raw file right um, if I was to take this exposure uh, the sun would be pretty blown out yeah. um, mm -hmm. and the rocks would be nicely lit or vice versa. The rocks would be completely pitch black, mm -hmm. but you see the sunlight. So I think a little bit of it is the exposure blending and really bringing in the detail and the dynamic range um, into every little bit of the image. I mean, that's in this photograph, really nothing is completely black. Um, there, there is detail throughout the image, and I think that does 
kind of give a soft look. It mm-hmm. gives kind of a softer look than if you're seeing, um, I guess you would say too much, well, not too much, but just more contrast. Really harsh shadows um, and harsh contrast. Yeah. Yeah, blending in that the different exposures really gives okay. it a nice kind of dreamy, surreal look that I I really like for a lot of my seascape images. Because you're already blurring, you're already um, altering uh you're taking an image that you can't really see. You're 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 blurring the water in some way or, or capturing yeah. the motion mm-hmm. of the water. So it already kind of has this dreamy look. So exposure blending just takes it to that next level of of <laughs> dreamy or surreal. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious about the sun position. Did you plan on being out there that day and having the sun in this position? Or did you just kind of happen to come across that rock and be like, hey, this is going to work out for a new comp. I should try it because the sun's setting and I can see it's going to be, you know, right there in that cradle. Um, I would, I kind of planned this shot out as far as where the sun was. I had been photographing the beaches around San Francisco every day. Okay. Um, so I would go to this beach. I would go to some of the beaches around this one and some of the ones across the bridge in Marin County. And I would go almost every single day. So I was definitely watching where the sun was and making sure that, um, you know, for an image like this, I don't think it would work if the sun wasn't in the sky. Like for example, if, yeah. if, if the sun had already set, but you got that nice pink glow in the sky, I don't think the image would have worked as much without mm-hmm. the lighting on the foreground. So, yeah. um, it did. Yeah. And, and during the kind of during the winter time, um, the sun sets a little bit more, to the left, I believe. I hope I'm getting that correct. I think it is. It, it sets more to the left in the winter time. So uh, this was an image that needed to be taken um, in the right the right season. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's too far north in the in the earlier. Summers, yeah, yeah. Summer and months. having and having that sun up still is amazing because having that light yeah. spill directly onto the water in the foreground is just so beautiful. It it skips. Yeah. Light skips along the surface of the water, the surface of the distant rocks in the water, the surface of the rocks in front of you, and then the very very closest water. It kind of skips around and carries your eyes through the whole image mm-hmm. as a separate leading line element because of where it's being kissed with light. Boom, 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 yeah, boom. and I, I, I would say I lucked out with the clouds too because, oh, yeah. you know, I, I'm not sure what it would look like if there were glowing clouds throughout the sky, but I kind of like that you have this blue sky above that matches the blue mm. kind of cool tones in the shadows. So mm-hmm. you've 100%. got this, this really nice complementary color look to it. And I, I don't know, I yeah, I... It, you've got I, a mirrored color image from the middle yeah. point of your image below and above where you go to the darker shadow of color of uh, darker shadow of water is kind of bluish to the golden light that's hitting it and then you got the sky that's golden and goes to a bluer up in the top corner and there's this s there's this s through your whole image from the top right over to the bottom left it's so perfectly balanced horizontally and vertically it's a great shot yeah thank you so much yeah i'm you know, I'm learning new things every day, and I'm just trying to hopefully um, get better. And you know, just comes with taking as many pictures as possible, and you know, trying to really have a vision. And sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, there's so many pictures that I have in my head that I try and take, and I'm like, wow, that really didn't work. You know, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's <laughs> when it all comes together, it's it's such a it's really a special feeling. 
Well, before we even met you out in Oregon, Brendan and I had decided that we were doing a segment on our YouTube channel called How to Shoot Like. And we had Nick Page, Thomas Heaton, and Michael Shane Bloom, Royce Bear, and I don't know if there's another person on there, but we had those guys on our list. And we had you on our list as one of the Milky Way photographers that we aspire to be like. And so we already wanted to do a How to Shoot Like Michael Shane Bloom. And now... I am very excited about trying out what I can do to shoot like Michael Shamblum here in landscape mm, photography mm-hmm. too. And so uh, we're ex- I'm excited to do that even more now. And I'm glad that we had a chance to talk so that I can get a little bit of a head start on thinking maybe my shadows are too harsh. Maybe that's where it takes away, the, it makes that texture where I don't want the texture. And it's not because the rock face that's lit is bad. It's just because the contrasting shadows are so sharp, it puts a texture in my image that isn't mm. in his image that I need to fix. So that's an awesome tip. Thanks so much, Mike. <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> so, no problem. So we were talking about your landscape photography and you brought up another one of your images. And so we pulled it up on our side and it was called the Rapture. And this thing is so cool. (laughs) This is another seascape image. If you guys go to the show notes and you haven't been there already, check this out. This is another Michael Shamblum shot. Mm. And this one does look like we're out in Oregon. Where is this at? This is at uh, Rodeo Beach in, in, um, well, I guess Marin County. It's like above the bridge, but, uh, or on the northern end of the bridge. And this photo. T-Stacks right there, just the same, huh? Yeah, I actually took a, a recent another photo here recently with um with my girlfriend Serena we were we were both there and uh, I was really I really liked that image too it's completely different though the rocks look completely different because I'm way further to the right side and they look a little spikier Um, so it's a different kind of image this one was just a really incredible sunset I was out there with a bunch of friends yeah but about two minutes after I took this photograph um a giant wave came over my head and um, just completely knocked me over my tripod, wow. uh, my lens, and just everything. Um, oh, wow. Kind of knocked me into a bunch of rocks. It was. Oh my gosh. Uh, it was kind of a scary situation. And. Ugh, rogue waves. You know, I've, I've had really powerful waves hit me before, and I just like hold on, you know, as much as I can and, um, or put the tripod over my head, but you know, the camera was toast I w- and I wasn't going to try and turn it back on. Cause that's just not really a good idea. Uh, Ooh, when yeah. your camera gets soaked with water. So, um, you know, I'm usually really careful with stuff like this. And this was one of those moments where I kind of learned that, you know what, even though I was probably being careful before, I think I needed to be a lot more careful because, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, sometimes, I was watching the waves really closely. I was kind of monitoring the patterns of of how high they could get, but you never know. Um, this this wave was way more powerful and way higher than any of the other ones that came through for the you know yeah. forty five minutes that we were standing there. And um, you're looking at your image and you can't see any sort of risk of waves like no, that. No, that's totally completely serene, yeah. a rogue wave. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, you look at this photo and you're like, wow, it's so. <laughs> It's almost blissful, how, yeah, you know, so with peaceful. sunlight and everything, and it was just like <laughs> such an intense moment for me. Um, and it, we, you know, we went to eat dinner after, and I was sitting there, you know, all bruised up and bleeding, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm like sitting there with, you know, I had taken the card out of my camera, and I, I, you know, tried to kind of just dry it a little bit, and like, you know, I put fresh water on it everything i just like rub some fresh water on on the camera and lens and everything just in case that would help um yeah 
anyways, I had the card in my pocket uh, in a little plastic baggie, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I I really hope, you know, I don't care about the camera so much. I mean, you know, it's insured, and um, you can replace gear, but I was so worried about the images from this evening. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, it was one of the most beautiful sunsets I had seen uh, in San Francisco, and I w- oh my God, to lose this image would have just been devastating to me. So yeah. when I finally, it was the moment of truth. I got back home and I, you know, I kind of cleaned up uh, the bruises and everything. And then I, or the, <laughs> the, you know, cuts and everything. And then got to my desk and I was like, okay, moment of truth, put the card in the card reader. And it was like <laughs> going in slow motion, you know, with <laughs> ominous music or some, or intense <laughs> cinematic music. And then, uh, and then sure enough, it popped up and I get, I, you know, actually screaming. I was like, yes, you know, <laughs> they were just, they're here. <laughs> and you just lost thousands of dollars oh of equipment, but man, you're so stoked that the images were still there. Oh my God. It was just the fact that the images were there. I, you know, putting it in the computer, I'm like, this is the best night. And <laughs> your camera and your lens and you know, all this stuff. I was like, yeah, but look at, I got, I, I like my photo and I have it. It's here. It's not lost. Absolutely. Oh, the more important thing is the photo because you could get gear anytime, but this shot, the way the sky is, the way that the sun burst is happening right on the rocks. I mean, oh, yeah. this thing is gorgeous. That's why I recommend, you know, especially someone living in a city is, you know, always, you don't, if you don't want to and you have it all insured and you're fine with having to go through the trouble, sure, leave your gear in your car. Take your memory cards. Take your memory cards. Take a hard drive or something because, yeah, you can replace your gear, but you're, you can't. These these are memories. These are yeah. This is your art. And you, sure, I could go to this place and photograph another sunset here and maybe find a comp like this. Well, actually these rocks are kind of hidden now. This has taken a few years ago and now I went back and there's like a lot of these rocks aren't even uh, visible yeah. anymore. Sand is covering them. Oh, Think, wow. things change, you know, so um, yeah, don't, you know, don't lose your memories. Don't lose your photography. If every once in a while gear breaks, I mean, it happens, but yeah, keep, keep, keep your photos tight. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And this is another great example of a long exposure carrying the leading line through and having just motion tell the story. And you very still rocks, very nicely focused rocks. Did you have to focus stack between the rocks and the sunset at all, or do you just go with a wide aperture or a wide F stop? That's what aperture. Did you just go for a wide aperture for to get high depth, like 16, 11? What did you do? You remember any memory of your settings on this? I was probably 16 or 18 for this. Yeah, you know, with seascape photography, everything is changing and moving so quick, and every wave can create a different mood. Every wave Mm. can create a different shape and essentially a different photograph. So um, you really, you can blend in, you know, a little bit of sunlight at the top. I mean, that's not, you know, it's changing, but not quite as much. But with the wave action and the the light on the rocks, um, you really... For me, at least, my my thing is I try and get it all. I try and get all that in one shot, and then if I have to bring back a little bit of detail in the sun or in the sky, I mean that's easily recover recoverable. But yeah, um, yeah I try and get the wave all kind of. Um, uh, sometimes I'll like take different sections of the wave. You know, like if a wave hits the rocks in the background, and I'm like, whoa, I love the way the way the wave hit that rock, and then the water spills through and then creates a beautiful pattern in the foreground. Then I can mm. go in and like 
you know, blend those together. But as far as the actual exposure goes um, or focus, I try and get that all in one shot. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the same way too. Background. Yeah, I found myself at Oregon just doing F16 a lot more than I normally do. F11, mm-hmm. F16, I barely was down at F8 or F5, nothing. So, right. so I try to keep everything in. So this is a yeah. great shot. Um, I, I want to get some tips from this, but I'm trying to think. Everything that we just talked about is covered in this shot, and I, I'm guessing that with this low sun, but directly at it, you still just had fast enough waves, or did this one require an end stop ND filter? You know what I do for a lot of my seascape work? I do use filters, but I'm not sure if... I think I was using the Nikon 14-24, to and I don't think I was using a filter for this one either. I think the water was just going so fast and so quick that Perfect. with uh, F-18 and ISO 50 and, mm. um, you know, a slow enough uh, shutter, I was able to get the motion in the water for this one too. Uh, that's not to say I don't use filters for seascapes though, because I do a lot, especially when the sun is a little higher in the sky um, or it's a little bit more daytime. I mean, filters are really the way to go for um, a lot of it, but I think oh, in yeah. this case it worked out without a filter too. And it's nice. I mean, the way that you're at the high S stop, you had a crazy cool looking starburst. I mean, that sunburst mm. is, looks awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's the 14 to the Nikon 14 to 24. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the Sunstar is. Yeah, it's a great sunburst. Not quite up to um, what the sixteen to thirty, the Canon sixteen to thirty-five is. That thing yeah. has a crazy sunburst. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really clean too. It's amazing. So yeah, I definitely want the Mark III sixteen to thirty-five someday. Yeah, I used it for a recent trip, and it that's a great lens. Mm. Really awesome. I rented mm. it. Um, really nice though. It seems so worth it. I have a Tamron 15 to 30 that makes me hesitate to get basically an identical lens. So I'm wondering if I give it another year of life on my Tamron, then get it. But yeah, totally mm-hmm. want it. So let's go ahead, guys. Let's take our last break of the podcast. Let's come back with Michael Shamblum and talk more about gear. Brendan wanted to talk to him about some of his gear for time-lapse oh, stuff, yeah. Yeah. as well as get a tip of the week from Michael. So let's go ahead and take a quick break and be right back. Okay. Hey guys, welcome back to the last uh, part of this episode. Uh, We're going to talk about gear time now with Michael. And I want to ask you, Michael, about some of your equipment you use for your time lapses. I've noticed there's some, there's some, not only some tracking, but some also some looks like some other motion going on. I just want to ask you, you know, more about that. How do you achieve some of the tracking that you do in your time lapses and give it that great, that great polish? Yeah, for sure. So um, I use a motion controlled pan and tilt head. Okay. And... And that is placed on top of a slider system, so like a motion slider. So it's all run through different motors. Um, So there'll be a motor for the slider action. There'll be a motor for the pan and the tilt. Um, Mm. And then the company that makes this stuff, which I've used for years, uh, is uh, for the the pan and tilt head I use. um, It's called the Emotimo. Mm -hmm. And that's the company name. Emotimo. And then the slider is Dynamic Perception. And I've used um, different gear from them for the past, it's probably like five or six years now, okay. and their technology just keeps changing. And, you know, I mean, when I was first, you know, starting out, it was like using this kind of uh, very technical, like, button box thing that was kind of like, you know, 
Uh, but now you, you have this crazy, you use like a PS3 controller and it looks like you're playing really? a video game and you're setting <laughs> endpoints, oh, wow. keyframing, and you can do repeat Ooh. moves and you can do video. It's, it's insane uh, the type of progress the, both these companies have made in, in their technology. And uh, yeah, that's, but that's how I'm getting all the motion. So if you see the camera, well, except for, uh, I also do some hyperlapse, which we can talk about later if we want. But um, most of the motion that you're seeing in those shots where the camera's actually moving around the foreground is done with a uh, pan and tilt head and a slider. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and what do you use about hyper- with, with hyperlapsing? Can you explain to the audience what that is and, and kind of what the technique is and, and then how you achieve that? Yeah, sure. So hyperlapse is um, it's basically when you move the camera uh, longer distances and you can do this a number of different ways. You can um, take a video clip with like a like a steady cam or like a movie, and then you just stabilize the motion and speed up the video. You can do photos on a tripod, and you keep you basically lock down a certain position. So let's say I would uh, you can even do it handheld, but I. Let, let me just think about about it in the most basic sense. So let's okay. say I wanted to do a hyperlapse with no tripod and just do it with my camera. Okay. Um, I could take my camera and use my the grid system in in uh, either the viewfinder or in your live view and find a point to focus on. So let's say I'm shooting a cityscape and there's a very prominent building in the uh, there's a very prominent building in my frame that I want to keep in the middle of the frame during the whole hyperlapse. So mm-hmm. I'm going to track, I'm going to find where I want to move. So maybe it's a straight line across the street. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a, a piece of concrete that goes in some sort, like maybe it's a concrete ledge that goes in a circular fashion where I can move along the concrete ledge and, and walk, basically take a frame move a step, take a frame, move a step, take a frame, move a step. Mm -hmm. And you do that for like 400 frames. It takes a while. um, But basically each time you'll keep a certain point in the image locked in the middle or locked in a certain position. So that building that I have will be in a certain position and I'll know where it is on my viewfinder and I'll try and recompose each time I take a step. So I'll uh, I'll have my composition take the photo, take a step, recompose the photo so that, that that building or that thing or that subject matter is in the same point as previous photo, take the photo, take another step, and you do that for a while. And then what you do is in After Effects or in another editing program, you have to stabilize each photo so that it looks smooth. Oh. Um, so it's After kind of Effects a- is good for stabilizing multiple frames like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, After Effects is is a great way of doing it. Some people will do it in Premiere if if they want kind of if they want to do it a little bit more basic. But um, yeah. After Effects is what most I would say the majority of people use to stabilize these shots. And you know when you take these shots and then you look at it, you do a playback. It's the camera is moving a ton because even right. if you find that position again. It, you still have all the this jitter and this parallax, so it can be tricky to stabilize the shots. And there's a bunch of little tricks and tips to getting them stable. Um, they're kind of a time investment, but they're they do create some. Yeah, they do create some interesting results, though. Um, and there's so many different ways of doing them. I mean, you could do a hyperlapse from a car, mm-hmm. uh, just you know, shooting from a car, shooting from a boat, shooting from a train. I mean, it's really any anything where the camera's moving. Um, 
you know, I, I guess it, it's it's any time the camera's moving, not on a slider or not on a just a static time lapse. Right, uh, right. Where you're physically yeah. moving with the camera through through a scene versus the scene kind of sitting there and the camera's moving along a track or something. Yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. The whole idea of a hyperlapse and when the I guess the term was developed was people moving um, moving the camera either handheld or with a tripod long distances. That's mm. what and then the hyperlapse app came out and then people started classifying almost everything as hyperlapse. Like people <laughs> right. people it's will a see lapse. a static yeah, essentially um, but it's, I guess the term is transformed into something different now, but, um, yeah, that's sort of the technique. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it can be a little frustrating and, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, but it is kind of fun if you want to try something kind of strange and, uh, you know, yeah, it's a nuts challenge. way to do it. I have, we have a guy who listens to our podcast, Stephen Magner, who just did oh, a hyperlapse yeah. out in L.A., and he was talking about the time investment, how nuts it was, the two and a half hours he spent inching forward. And he was doing a handheld one, so a lot more work with the monopod, and he just moved his monopod, you know, inches. And it was they're, they're, uh, quite an investment. <laughs> yeah, the, I've done some day-to-night hyperlapses before. So, you know, they take two hours to shoot, and, you know, everything needs to be planned out so much. So like I'll, I need to scout the place first and find whatever I'm, I want to walk along or whatever, um, however I want to do the movement. And I need to count out how many steps it's going to take or how many half steps oh, it's going to take. Yeah. And then I need to measure it out when I'm actually shooting it or get at least get close enough, um, you know, eyeballing it. And, uh, you know, I'll set an interval. So like I'll give myself, let's say, 20 maybe 30 seconds to shoot and then recompose but if you do that for two to three hours i mean it gets it gets strenuous um (laughs) and and you know you'll every once in a while you'll get pretty close to missing a frame you're like oh no i'm not recomposing quick enough or you know anyways (laughs) (laughs) uh we have not been stressful yeah yeah very stressful we haven't done a hyperlapse before we just stuck with some time lapses and done some Mm -hmm. basic ones and they're fantastic, but thinking about this Emotimo and the dynamic perception slider and controlling mm-hmm. it with a three, you know, a, contr- a PlayStation three controller, it sounds right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. I would say I like doing, I like doing everything though. Hyperlapse is fun, but it's also pretty strenuous and mm-hmm. it takes uh, forever to edit. And then I love doing slider motion time lapses because they're so smooth and you can really move yeah. around objects in an interesting way you it, it really puts the time lapse into a 3d space um, and then static time lapses are fun as well because if you find a scene that is interesting enough uh, to where it's not really about the motion of the camera it's about what's happening in the scene um, Around, you know you, yeah. you can feel proud doing you can feel proud when you do a static time lapse that is interesting enough to where it didn't need anything extra. It's it's really about what's happening in the scene. So I like doing everything. They all have their pros and cons, and it's just fun to kind of experiment. Well, yeah, when we were when we were at Yosemite earlier this year, and we had these clouds rolling in, when we were right there at Tunnel View with like 500 other people, I'm looking at these clouds moving. I'm like, these things are moving so fast. I'm just going to set up and do a time-lapse because this is insane. This is going to be amazing. (laughs) And it just (laughs) turned out so beautiful because there was just, the scenery alone was already so like amazing. And then when you have these clouds covering and revealing these rock 
faces all the time. It was just fantastic. And the camera didn't move once, but it was just so awesome to watch. So dynamic and so interesting. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. So do you have any other gear you want to talk about, or should we go into tip of the week? Let's go to tip of the week. That was pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. For tip of the week, I'm going to put you on the spot. I kind of give you a heads up on it, but I'm thinking, let's think six years ago, Michael Shanebloom, you have a chance to come across him. What do you want to tell him that you wish you knew starting out? I think there's, can I say two? Two oh, things? Sure, yeah, please. Sure. Tell us seven. I mean, everyone's going to be okay with every number of things you tell us. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first thing is to just just be as creative as possible. Um, you know, don't you don't necessarily need dramatic skies or crazy, you know, pink sunsets or sunrises to create um, an image that you'll be proud of. I mean, just try and explore and if you look outside and it's overcast or if it's sunny outside, just every once in a while say, you know, go anyways, go and see what you can create because Mm. I've created some of my favorite images in what most people would consider less than ideal conditions. Just really try and explore and, and, you know, make the best out of different situations because you really never know what you're going to come out with. And, you know, when you get those, poor conditions or you know what some people would consider poor conditions it really does force you to think outside the box and be more creative and um anyway so that would be the first tip that you know because definitely back then let's say five or six years ago i was definitely if it wasn't nice out if there weren't epic clouds or awesome Mm. night skies i would just be like i'm not gonna shoot but um yeah i'm glad i kind of that mindset has I don't really have that mindset anymore because there's so many times where you go, where you go on trips and you don't get the conditions that you were looking for. So yeah, um, that's that was a lesson learned. Mm. And then um, the second is, you know, if you're starting out and you're creating art and you're posting it online and people are looking at it, uh, just the the internet's a funny place and <laughs> you, you'll get a lot of criticism. And you know, I get criticism every single day wow. and uh you know some of it is valid some sometimes it's great to get creative criticism or creative um constructive you know, feedback cr- constructive criticism or constructive feedback is important i think to grow as an artist sure but, sure you know there are a lot of people who really just want to be nasty for the sake of being nasty mm-hmm. and yeah. you know this i've i've seen this a lot when you know when my photos are featured somewhere and people are just ripping them to shreds or on, you know, any of my social media channels or even on my website. And, um, you know, some of it, if, if somebody does have something valid to say, then, you know, just consider maybe, maybe, maybe they're just trying to help, but you know, some people on the internet are just out there to be nasty. Don't let it get to you. It's really easy to let it get to you and, Mm. um, to become frustrated. Even for me, like sometimes I, I see comments like that and it's like I'm a human being, you know, I put I put my heart and soul into what I'm doing. And yeah, sometimes to see comments like that, it does hurt. But I just just really try and think everyone gets it. Every single person, every every photographer out there gets this stuff. Um, I get it daily and just just really don't let it discourage you from creating your art i mean really do what you're passionate about and if somebody doesn't like it then you know what that's their problem it's not their art it's yours so just keep keep getting out there and creating you know 
Absolutely, man. I mean, if you're getting it, I'm going to be getting it crazy hard. And all of you <laughs> listening to the podcast that are, you know, many of you are in the listeners group and we kind of have an active 30 or so that are sharing their pictures and sharing and looking for feedback. And I think more of you out there are hesitating to share your pictures with the group mm, and yeah. get that constructive feedback. Because I think for the most part, and I've seen for the most part, everyone in the group is really friendly and nice and supportive that you went out there on an adventure Here's your kudos. Here's your props because you went out and took a shot. It doesn't it doesn't matter how perfect it is. So share your shots more. Feel more comfortable to share your shots. Yeah, especially my- yes. I mean, sorry to cut you off, yeah, but especially fine. in the in the listeners group, we vetted those people coming in. We don't let just anybody in our listeners group on Facebook. And so when you guys are on there and you guys are listening and you're part and you're part of the group, feel free to share more often because I, I feel like the comments are really constructive. There's not anybody nasty there that we know of. And if they are, guess what? We can boot them. We'll get rid of them. So. <laughs> and if yeah, Michael Shamblum's going to get it, you're going to get it. So don't worry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, you know, no one is above improvement. I, I think everyone right. out there should be looking to improve what they're doing. Yeah. Um, everyone should be looking to learn new things and improve their art and just keep progressing because if if there's no room to progress where are where do you go from there you right, know i mean you right. always want to be learning yeah. but at the same time yeah there are there's a difference between people who genuinely just want to i guess help and and you know put constructive criticism there and then there's other people who just really want to get under your skin and just mm. want to be mean for the sake of being mean, and I think it's it's part of the internet culture. It's part of the fact that there, you're not in, you know you're not seeing an actual human being right in front of you that you're talking to that you you can feel their emotions when you say something nasty to them. Yeah. It's just a username um, and and somebody's photograph, so it's more anonymous, and people uh, feel the need to to be that way. But just yeah, like I said, if you're out there and you're trying to create and you're getting some of that. Just don't let it discourage you. Just keep creating, you know? Cool. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Seriously, thank you for giving us an hour and hanging out with us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys uh, inviting me to come on. And, you know, it was a a fun adventure we had uh, up in Oregon. So, yeah. (laughs) It really was. (laughs) I, I can't wait to do this again someday with you. Like we said out there, next time you're in Utah, you don't need to rent a car. We might not even need to eat some days because we're going to cover things for you, man. We're excited to take you around. Definitely. I'm definitely going to take you guys up on that. <laughs> okay. I really want to come back to Utah. It's been a while since I've been there. Oh, I can't wait for the Milky Way to come back. Oh, it's so beautiful. So many plans for next year. So follow Michael Shane Blum. You can go to his website, shaneblumphoto.com, and you can see his work there. Or go to Facebook and follow him there on Shane Blum Photo as well. And if you go to his Instagram, man, you can follow him there. He has almost 500,000 followers. So maybe you, myself, everyone, go get your other accounts. Let's get him the last 2,000 followers he needs to hit 500K. Go to his Instagram at Shameblum Photography. So Shameblum Photography is his Instagram and shameblumphoto.com is his website. Uh, remember that we have the contest out right now where we're giving away three Carson Lumi Loops. So if you guys get out there and give us reviews, we have four new ones on our iTunes. Thank mm-hmm. you guys so mm-hmm. much for the reviews on iTunes. If you've done anything on Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else and you think I might have missed it make sure you let me know send me a message you guys can always email us contact us and just let us know thanks for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you guys up next time thanks so much everyone yeah have a good week guys see ya